Well, I'd like to read to you from the Word of God this morning. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the other who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, good morning, beloved of God. It's, it's good to, to be with you this morning. I'm happy that all my friends are here with me this morning and, and my friends uh, online. If you're new here to Crosswinds, uh, I want you to know that, that we consider you to be a friend. And if there's any way that we can serve you while we're here, please uh, let me know or let one of our deacons know. Um, the text I just read, I, I find very hard. But I also have found it to be very encouraging. And, and friends, I, I, I hope you will find it that way too. You know, our message title today is More Than a Get Out of Jail Free Card. See, many in our world treat the Christian faith kind of like a, a, a get out of jail free card in Monopoly. They, they never think about their faith any deeper than that. But if you will think about what Jesus is saying here to us today, you will understand how much we need a card like that every single day. If your salvation is just a tattered card you, you keep tucked somewhere in your wallet and, and someday you hope to whip it out and, and, and prove that you are a card-carrying member of the Jesus Club, you could be very disappointed that you didn't take the time to really think about his word. I believe our faith is to be one of constant repentance and growth, or as we say at Crosswinds, turning back to God's design for our lives. You know, of course, God's grace is completely free to us, kind of like that get-out-of-hell-free card. Faith in Jesus redeems us and, and releases us from the condemnation of hell. But truly living as a disciple of Jesus is, is, is so much more than carrying that old card of a decision many, many years ago around in your pocket. See, God has new grace for us today. He, he seeks to make us new again today. God's word says his mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. You know, being a disciple of Jesus is living with the, the right perspective that we need his grace every day because we are, are, are not always faithful. You know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, said this. This is a trustworthy saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost, 1 Timothy 1.15. You know, this is a super apostle, a, a, a super disciple of Jesus, but he had the perspective that he had further to go, that he was the, the worst of sinners. That doesn't seem to be the perspective today of, of many who follow Christ. 
Many seem to just keep that card just as an insurance policy in their back pocket. I, I was thinking about our text today this week, and as I was thinking about it, I, I, I was thinking that I need his grace be, because sometimes, and, and maybe not sometimes, I, I, I consider other people's sins as worse than my own. It, it seems that sometimes I, I can let other people's stuff stink and annoy me more than the smell of my own stuff. I can, I can tend to rate my own sins as if they're of lower importance to God than those other people, whoever they might be, whoever those people might be, which is completely untrue theologically according to what the Bible says. I, I, I know what is true, but when I get annoyed or, or, or when I get hurt, other people seem like they have greater sins than me. Friends, I, I believe we all do that to some extent. We can consider those doing violence in our city like Chicago as worse than ourselves. We can consider our unbelieving family members as worse than ourselves. We can consider people from another political party worse than ourselves. We can consider those wealthy people that lives maybe seem so decadent to us as worse than ourselves. We can consider those addicted to drugs and alcohol as worse than ourselves. It's easier to consider dictators like Putin or the oppressive Taliban regime as worse than ourselves. There are some that even consider their spouses as worse, as bigger sinners than themselves. You know, we have institutions like the Catholic churches that teach that certain sins are worse than others. You know, as I was a child growing up there, I learned that there were certain sins that were mortal or extremely serious, like murder or suicide or adultery. And there were other sins that were called venal that, that would not damn your soul. You know, like telling that little white lie to your wife that that outfit does not make her butt look big. <laughs> like cheating on your taxes, just, just a venal sin. Um, stealing a little time uh, in your workplace. Drinking too much wine. Heck, I learned to drink wine as an altar boy. <laughs> um, I also learned how to gamble. Bingo! Those are just venal sins, right? No biggie. But the scripture doesn't make that kind of distinction between sins that damn you and sins that are okay. And instead, the apostle Paul in Romans 6.23 says, the wage of sin is death. And what Paul meant is that all sin caused an external and eternal separation from God in hell. Because God is holy and he's not compatible with it. And, and, and thankfully, Paul also said that gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said that in the same sentence. So friends, all sin is gravely serious. And it's also 
universal. Paul said that in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we as people are often more concerned with what annoys us or hurts us about other people rather than what has offended God. And, and, and we tend to rationalize sin. You know what rationalizing is? It's telling yourself rational lies. We, we tell ourselves a rational lie that our sin doesn't matter as much to God as the sin of the other guy that annoys us. Friends, if we do that, and we say that we are Jesus' disciples, aren't we being more like a Pharisee, like the Pharisee Jesus described in the parable in Luke 19 that goes to the temple with one of his, the most notorious sinners in his day, a tax collector, and this Pharisee prays to God, and he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Love it, if we have that attitude that someone else's sin is more serious than our own, is that truly being a disciple of Jesus? Or is it being a Pharisee? Jesus did not give the Pharisee any grace that day. But he gave grace to the tax collector who, who, who could not even lift his eyes to heaven, but prayed instead and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right now, I want you to think about the person that you think right now in your life is the worst person you know. You know, the one you all talk about at work by the water cooler. You know, the one at your school that you kind of whisper about with your friends. You know, the, 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 the person that you avoid in your family. You know, the, the ones that your favorite talk radio or TV program always talks about. Maybe it was the one that cut you off in traffic on the way here. Ask yourself, are they really worse than you? How, how are you rationalizing that? Because the Bible would say that they deserve hell just as much as you do. They need God's forgiveness just as much as you do. Their sins are hurting them and everyone around them just as much as yours are. And just because you say you believe in Jesus and carry that tattered card in your pocket, does that make them a worse sinner than you? Don't you, sinner, need his grace daily to live, to thrive, and survive for all eternity? And let me ask you, will he even seek his grace if you believe you don't need it? Will you be pursuing his grace? Friends, if, if your life is all about grumbling about those people's sins, it, it will keep you from having the joy that is found in his grace and mercy and love for you. Your, your grumbling will 
about them will keep you from turning to Jesus and, and recovering and pursuing God's perfect design for your life. Yet I bet there are some who are listening to me that are, are still rationalizing and considering me, your pastor, as the really big sinner for what I am now saying. How could that pastor say the real problem is me? You're right, I am a sinner. I, 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 I am the foremost of sinners. But please, don't let the fact that I'm a sinner make you rationalize that you are not. You know, today, let, let's, let's look very closely at the words of the one human being ever in history that lived a perfect life, not as a sinner, and let's learn from him. You know, there, there, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. There were present. It, it, it seems as if there are always some present around Jesus and his church that are grumbling about how someone else's sin is worse instead of looking and turning from their own. You know, the complaint here seems rather subtle. It, it, it seems rather benign to us. But they're, what they're doing is deadly. They are informing Jesus about how awful the sins of a ruler that they did not like Pilate was. He, he was their Roman oppressor. And a, a Pilate, we don't know the history, apparently had killed a bunch of Galileans that were just making a pilgrimage to make sacrifices at the temple. And, and to these other Jewish people, Pilate is the worst of the worst of sinners. Now, we don't know historically exactly how this happened, but then, like today, there were many tragedies like this that, that were caused by a few notoriously sinful people. And like those listening to Jesus, we like to cast blame for every evil we see right on the appropriate parties, especially those we don't like. Americans seem to like to grumble about the sins of others to feel better about ourselves. That's why the evening tabloids, I mean news channels, are all so popular. So this would have been the headline, innocent people going to church and they are murdered brutally by an oppressive government. And I'm sure there was a lot of outrage in their community for this injustice. But, but, but look at the context. Jesus has just been teaching them about how we each need to find grace for ourselves, that, that those in the crowd he was preaching to are like convicted felons that need to settle with their accuser before they're hauled off to prison and beaten and have no hope of ever getting out. Because they owe a debt of sin to God that they could not pay. They, they need to come to him for mercy. But here they have distracted themselves from Jesus' teaching and his call for them to turn and repent and look for mercy by talking about the news, by, by informing Jesus about how, how bad, what a sinner Pilate was. You know, today if a, a gunman came and shot up a church and, and, and the victim's blood 
was mingled with the communion wine. We, we might be tempted to start complaining that that person is the worst of sinners. And, 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 but let's consider what happened here. The, the pilgrims are going to temple, and they're going there to make an atonement for their sins by killing an innocent animal. animal. You know, my fictitious example with the blood mixed with wine, the, the reason Christians come to church is to celebrate an innocent man who atoned for our sins against God. So for them and for us, just coming here is admission of our own sin of rebelling against the holy God. In God's eyes, would we be any better than the gunmen or Pilate? Yes, the, the gunmen should be punished in this life for his sins against humanity. But eternally, if the wage of sin is death, don't we also stand convicted with the gunman as an offender of God's heavenly court? Complaining about the murderer's sins will not get us out of an eternal prison. Friends, are we better? Is he worse? Because we both rebelled against God. We, we both deserve eternal death and hell. Just, just because his sin appears super heinous to us does not mean that you automatically go free because he is worse. Because, see, that's religious or pharisaical thinking. See, the problem is we, we like to talk about the tragic sins of others because it makes us feel more morally righteous than others. But the true disciple of Christ needs to always consider, without God's mercy, I am the same. I'm in exactly the same position of the murderer in God's court. You know, people easily talk about the death of others, and, and they make all kinds of judgments about it. But most don't easily talk about or face the reality of their own death, which the Bible tells us is God's judgment for sin. If you only complain about the death and destruction about others as you're watching CNN or Fox, and you never identify the same tragedy as happening to you all the time, then you will not repent. You're just being entertained or distracted by someone else's sin instead of facing your own. Now, Jesus doesn't ask them anymore about Pilate's sins, which is kind of interesting. He brings it closer to home. He asks them about the sins of the other religious Jews like them. He answered them and says, Do you think that these Galileans were worse than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus is attacking the problem of our rationalizing sin in the form of a question. You see, common thinking among the Hebrew people was if 
you were being blessed by God, it was because you were a good person. And if tragedy happened to you, it's because you were a cursed person. You know, many in this world have that kind of thinking. Many Christians today have that kind of thinking. Beloved, being a disciple of Christ does not allow you to have a belief in karma. That you're somehow being punished for the sins of your life in this life. Conversely, the good you do is not necessarily the explanation for God's apparent favor in your life. Karma is actually a religious philosophy that enslaves billions of people around the world. People are trapped by their sins of the past to have to suffer in the future because they can't escape. Or conversely, they give you credit to certain people because they seem to have blessings and they give that credit to themselves because they are so good, which is heresy. If we act and believe like this, we are moralists, not believers in God's grace given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, only God is truly good. If we say we are better than other sinners or worse than other sinners, aren't we saying that? Aren't we trusting in our own rationalization instead of Jesus' sacrifice? Now, let me ask you, in your own life experience, does it show you that good things happen to, quote, bad people and, and bad things happen to, quote, good people? I mean, doesn't your experience in life show you that? The reason for that is sin. Sin has corrupted our existence, according to what the Bible says. In Romans 8, 20 through 22, it says, creation, the actual creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of one who subjected it, but in the hope that the creation itself would be set free from the slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. See, what happened is our great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And they and the whole world was thrown into disorder and sin, and that's where we are today. So disease happens, and, and natural disasters happen, and accidents happen, and all the brokenness we see in our world and relationships is because of sin. Our, our own suffering is not necessarily caused by our own sin, but by sin in general. I wonder why they're reporting this tragedy happened specifically to the Galilean pilgrims. Because to the religious elite in Jerusalem, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, that were often challenging to Jesus, the Galileans were hicks. You know, Peter in Mark uh, 1470 was identified as Christ's followers because of his accent. He talked funny. Peter did. And the people of Galilee were the butts of the Judean humor. And, and racially, the, the people of Galilee despised them. I'm sorry, the, racially, the people of Judah despised the people of Galilee because they were more mixed racially. They were not purebred Jews like they were in Judea, where Jesus is now speaking. 
Are the, are the ones telling the story to Jesus, trying to explain this tragedy by saying it somehow happened to worse sinners? You know, those Galileans. Do we ever make false statements when we see a stra- tragedy? That it's somehow a fault of the victim because they are, are somehow worse than us. You know, those rednecks were too stupid to get out of the, the trailer park before that tornado hit them. You know, those African people must be really sinful and they must be under God's judgment because they suffer with AIDS and poverty. You know, those people in Haiti, they're especially cursed because of their ancestors' sins. That's why they suffer those hurricanes and those earthquakes. Are, are, when we do that, are, are, are we thinking privately, at least I'm not as bad as them? Because I have air conditioning and I have a reliable car and I, I have money in the bank. Do we pity them for their poverty and send missionaries but then don't repent ourselves? W- wouldn't it be pharisaical to think because I'm all cleaned up with my education and status, God must love me more? I've been to Haiti and I've been to Africa and I've often, often seen more of God's grace in action because the people actually beat their breasts regularly and repent and rely dependently on God for his mercy. They do that much more than the wealthy people here. Who will Jesus say is justified? Those who trusted him with nothing, clinging only to the cross, or those who are clinging to their good lives? Are are you rationalizing that you don't need to repent because you have so much more? You know, that really didn't work out so well for the rich young ruler. Is your attitude is those, those poor people, those Muslims, those gays, those transvestites, those Democrats, those Republicans, they are much worse sinners than me. I am not the one who needs to repent. Those pitiful sinners are the ones that need to. Friends, is that a rationalization? I think so. But, but it doesn't really matter what I think because I'm a big sinner too. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, no. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. No, is what Jesus is saying. That when people suffer, it does not prove that they are worse sinners than anybody else. And no to you who think you are just fine. You're blessed by God because you don't suffer like others do. That kind of pharisaical pride will will keep us from the true blessings God wants to bestow on us. And without repentance, friends, we we will perish forever. If you're just walking through life saying, I'm good, I'm good. And that's often what lost people say when I attempt to share the gospel with them. I'm good. I haven't been killing anybody. I pay my bills for the most part. I treat the people I like right. I'm living the good life. I don't have time for God, but really, I'm okay. Here's my 
I think I have it. My, my get out of jail free card. I know about Jesus. I, I, I think I prayed a prayer in my youth group as a kid. I even walked an aisle one day when I was going through a rough time. But now I'm good. I'm, I'm not a bad sinner. That's just those people over there. Pastor, you should go talk to the bad people over there. Those bad people in Africa and Haiti and the inner city. Go talk to those poor souls. I'm good. Here's a couple of See how good I am? How do you rationalize you are good when Jesus is saying, unless you repent, you will perish? Today, turn to him for forgiveness and mercy and follow him or you will perish in hell. Standing here grumbling about the sins of others does not save you. God will say, duh. I know those other people are sinners. I created them. But I also created you. And you are rebelling against me too. Turn to me and live, not to your own goodness. You may not have met your disaster yet, but it is coming. And there's only one solution. My goodness, not yours. Hey, buddy, I'm not looking at them right now. I'm looking at you. And you better look at yourself. You know, there's others that are saying, I'm not good. Those that feel like victims in their life. You know, the poor me crowd that is rationalizing by saying, God, look how you're punishing me. And Jesus is saying, I'm not punishing anybody yet. Stop grumbling about all those you feel who are punishing you and repent. Turn to me. You're no more righteous because you are a victim in this life than the one who appears to be blessed. And by the way, attaining more material blessings like those you think are blessed won't help you avoid what's coming. Get honest. Turn to me. You are not as righteous as you think you are because you happen to be oppressed right now. Stop rationalizing away your sin problem. I bet some of you are really thinking right now, this preacher is a true, real sinner. He's awful extreme. A God of love would not judge me. My life is too good. It's all clean and tidy. Or hey, a loving God would not condemn me because I've had such a rough time in this life. That preacher, you really must be the sinner. You're not preaching a message of unconditional love. I'm sorry, I, I don't believe the Bible teaches unconditional love. That's a very worldly idea that we really don't practice even though we demanded it from everybody. Jesus is teaching there's a condition. It doesn't matter whether you're the worst sinner or a little sinner. The condition is to continue in God's grace forever. You must repent or you will perish. Actually, the Bible 
speaks of an eternal love and grace for those who turn in faith because of God's goodness. And it teaches there's an eternal punishment for those who will not. God's condition is not based on the totality or the extremeness of my sins, good or bad. But the condition is based on whether by faith I repent, turning from my sins to him. You know, one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave me was to bless me with abundant grace while I was being utterly decadent in my sins. Beloved, I was the worst of sinners. I should be dead. I should be dead broke. But instead, God gave me grace, even in my foolishness. God then let me experience suffering when I started to attempt to do everything right. And and, and that suffering taught me that suffering is part of living for him in a world corrupted by sin. Jesus suffered, and yet he was completely righteous, but he was living in a fallen world, and, and, and so sometimes I will suffer like him, doing good. And that suffering does not mean that God does not love me. The Bible does not teach a wicked, worldly philosophy of karma. Friends, that is something we all need to repent of. The Bible teaches us providence, that our sins and the sins of others do not trump his goodness for those who will turn and follow him. Romans 8.28 says, we know that God works in all things, or works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, and for those who are called according to his purpose. Beloved, stop moping. Stop grumbling and saying, you are being punished because you're bad. And stop saying that the future is bright because you are so good. Instead, repent, turn, and follow Jesus in both the good and the bad or perish. The effects of sin are a true reality of this life. But friends, they're not a permanent destination for those who believe in God's goodness through Jesus Christ. Now, those listening to Jesus in the crowd must still be trying to rationalize their innocence. Because Jesus challenges them with another question on how uh, another hot news item that they're talking about. Were those 18 on whom the tower in Salom fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? This is an example that the fate of the people could not be blamed on some oppressor like Pilate or on any other evil oppressor. In this case, brick and mortar failed. And and, and some people were in the wrong place and got killed. You know, one of the ways we try to rationalize the effect of sin in our world is to find 
blame in someone else. And when we can't find someone to blame, we often blame God. And, and friends, when we blame others or God, it leaves us stuck in our lives and in our sin. Blame is just another rational lie we tell ourselves to avoid thinking about the real problem that our sin is separating us from God. Blaming God, and I, and I want to say this, if you look at the word blame and, and you separate the B-E and the L, you have be lame. It, it, it's leaving you stuck. Blaming God and others will not fix your ultimate problem. It really doesn't fix any problem. You're, you're not good. And, and, and so you have sin and you need a savior because death is a tragedy that falls on us all at some point, even those that think they're innocent. You know, the tower was near a pool in Salaam, a place where pilgrims came to ritually wash themselves. And, and these people were going to worship at the temple and they got crushed by rocks. And, and there's just no pilot and there's no hicks from the sticks of Galilee to blame here. And, and Jesus asks if these innocents could be worse offenders than all the other hundreds of thousands of people that lived in Jerusalem that also believed in God? If judgment only comes to the worst sinners, wouldn't God have taken Pilate out? I mean, he lived in that city. I mean, if, if God only punishes the worst of sinner, wouldn't he take out that corrupt Herod, that king who lived in the city? Wouldn't a tower, shouldn't a tower fall on him? In this, Jesus is asking his audience and us to think correctly about his gospel. That, that they need to face and think about the actual cost of their own sin. And, and, and people are very, very resistant to think about their own sin. You know, blame is so much easier. I'd much rather be Nigel's fault, right? Blame is so much easier. But, but here, doesn't, Jesus doesn't give an option for somebody to blame. And, and yet people are still perishing. I want you to think about that. Christians today and, and, and disciples in the first centuries were quick to assign blame on others when they were struggling with something or they didn't understand something. In John 9, as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man, somebody who was blind from birth. And his, his own disciples, not the Pharisees, asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus told them, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. But still today, people avoid people that have disabilities and people avoid people that are physically hurt because they maybe have in their mind, they don't want to be near that. For some reason, is that they believe it's a curse? I don't know. Death and destruction happen in a fallen world. 
So we are not to be judges. We are not qualified to assess personal blame of sin for someone else who's in a tough spot. The effects of sin in the world hurts us all. And and friends, when we get hurt, we want to lash out and, and we want to blame someone. But the real problem is we... We live in a world that's been corrupted by sin. So, so, quote, bad things happen to good, quote, good people. And, and people we love. And good things, they happen to people we hate. And this causes us pain. And when we don't know what to do with that pain, we blame. Jesus is saying, repent. Repent. Turn to me in your pain. Blame will not solve anything. It won't kill your pain. Blaming is actually your own solution to a problem that does not work. Instead, it makes us bitter. Instead, it steals our joy. Instead, it distracts us from what will truly end our pain, what will truly get rid of it forever. Repentance, turning to God for forgiveness and grace, and that will give us the forgiveness and grace for others. It's a much better and more permanent solution than medicating our pain or nursing our bitterness. People nurse their bitterness for years. Got to let that go. Or it'll defile you and it'll, it'll defile others. Jesus said, there's another way. Repent. He said it in a different way. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In life, what are you burdened with? Well, the effects of your own sin and the sins of other sinners that make this world a broken place. And you're burdened by false religious or social philosophies that make you the solution to your own sin problem. And friends, that doesn't work. You're burdened by trying to play God, trying to figure out all of these bad things happen to, quote, good people, and all these good things happen to bad people. It's exhausting. It's just much easier to love all sinners. Jesus came to take away our burden of sins, both those we commit and the effects of those sins done to us that cause us shame. But we must turn, turn to him, or we will continue perishing in our sins. Will will denial of sin work? Will blaming your sins on others work? Jesus says, no. Unless you, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, people get confused about what this word repentance means. Some think it's it's just an emotional response of regret for our sin. And some people think it's, it's promising to stop sinning. I promise to stop sinning, and, and I'll get some ritual get-out-of-hell-free card, and then I'll just go return to my old life. 
that's not repenting. Repentance is first changing your mind about your sin. There's no way to rationalize it and, and admit that to God, that, that you're heading for destruction and your only hope now is to turn now and follow Jesus, trusting that he is the solution. See, Jesus didn't rationalize sin away. Jesus knew the cost of it. He, he, did, it, he did not ritualize it away. Jesus had to kill it for you. See, an innocent, sinless man would have to die for it. Jesus' blood would have to be spilled out for it. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross for you, and, and he surrenders his life to put the power of your sin to death forever. Then three days later, he, he rose again, proving that the sting of death, the wage for our sin, was gone forever for those who believed in him. If rationalizing you're pretty good, that you're a pretty good guy or a pretty good girl and not the worst sinner around, if that would have worked, the Son of God would not have had to die. If blaming your spouse or your parents or Satan worked, the Son of God would not have to die. Adam already tried that, and it got him cast over the garden, and he died. No! Jesus says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Friends, today, will you change your mind about your sin, admit it to Jesus, and turn to him each and every day for the solution? Be forgiven of your sins and, and, and be given everlasting life and continue to find his New mercies every day, to continue to do that every day. Friends, we have more than a get-out-of-hell free card. We, we have the eternal promise of the Son of God who loved you, and he was willing to give his life for you, to make you so, into something new. Friends, if, if you believe in him, you are a son or daughter of God. You're now sinless in the eye of God unable to be judged because the cost of your sin is gone. It is dead. You truly are free. But you have to claim that freedom every day. That's, that's much better than rational lies. Today, turn and receive his love and mercy. Find that new every morning. You're not always faithful, but he is. And he loves the worst of sinners just as much as the ones who think they're good. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word spoken through your son that always challenges us that makes us think. Lord, let your people think. 
Let them not think on other people's sins, not think on the sins of the world, but, but get in touch with their own sin and turn to you today and say, I'm sorry. I admit this, and I, I, I'm choosing to follow you. I'm choosing to walk with you. And, and, and Lord, I don't even know how to do that. I'm coming to surrender, to say, lead me, guide me, help me. My ways of rationalizing don't work. Your way works. Oh, oh Lord, I choose to follow you. Today, choose to follow you. Amen.